Oh, I love it. I love it. I I very much feel the same way. I'm never really inclined to watch new movies, especially ones like this. It's just not something right, I Right, it looked dumb. It looked really dumb. And I was up last night at around, I don't know, like 2 a.m. And I couldn't really sleep. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'll watch this movie. Because I could watch it during the day, but I was like, I'll watch it at night. And I'll make my notes and I'll get my I'll get my my first impressions down and then sleep on it. And like usually when you sleep on something, maybe you think a little bit more about it. Like there's some movies where I watch it and then afterwards I'll have more deep intrinsic thoughts. And this movie, honestly, zero. It's just I, the more I thought about it, the stupider it got. Oh, really? I mean, like, I feel like there were a lot of things that were dumb about this movie. But when I uh, approached it with the question of like, okay, that's a little dumb, but let's pretend that's on purpose. What might that be saying? I thought this movie got a little bit interesting. Oh, yeah? What was the most interesting part of it for you? Okay, so like the thing that kept irritating me about the movie was uh, people would keep doing plans that didn't make sense. Or people would try to sacrifice themselves in the moment when it would confer um, no benefit. You'd get no, uh, no reward for this self-sacrifice. And I think the overall theme of the movie is that um, in the heat of the moment, it's really difficult to see the big picture. So you have um, this, okay, so like uh, the rift to the future, the uh, portal to the future opens up and people from the future just start making people from the past start doing things. And it seems like this is not a big back and forth process. It's a conscription from the future. And uh, the information that gets passed by is not very good. The uh, communication between the past and the present seems like um, it's pretty bad, and people are just confused. And then when the portal of the future finally ends, we see that um, everyone in the moment, in the present, is just as confused. There's no um, international government cooperation against the aliens, even though there was just this war they were drafting people for. Uh, you have people uh, who are working with such bad information that the uh, miraculous uh, discoveries are made by um, Chris Pratt discussing it with his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just like um, the portrait of the world is a total shit show because everyone is so stuck in their moment that no one can see the bigger picture. That's what I felt like this movie was about. Yeah. So for me, the biggest takeaway I got was right at the end because spoiler alert, we're going to go right. I'm going to go. Yeah, right we to the spoiled end things already. We're going to spoil some things already. So the 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 bit at the hey, end. What where, if we did like a summary before we got into this? A summary? I mean, well, yeah. For people who were like, okay, I've never heard of this movie. Oh, they're talking about the ending of it right away. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's here's the summary. So everyone who was watching soccer or football saw a bunch of people come in from what was it, thirty years in the future? Yeah. So like, um. We open the movie. Uh, Chris Pratt is bringing beer and liquor to a family Christmas party, and they sit down and watch TV, and the TV's got this uh, terrible news. Uh, people from the future have come from a portal. They've interrupted a soccer game to say um, the future's all war, and we're going to have to start sending people to the future to fight in this war. So Chris Pratt, he starts going to the future to fight this war. Yeah, at first he doesn't. He's like a biology teacher. He's like a biology teacher. He's and... like Walter White from Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like that goofy, doofy guy. But apparently he was also, you know, a colonel, special forces or something. So he's got right. like, he's you know. He's an ex-military teacher. So he's the perfect guy for uh, this movie. He's the guy, the zeitgeist needs. Yeah, and don't forget, he also has an estranged 
father, right? In J.K. Simmons, who's just absolutely oh, yeah. shredded. He's probably my favorite part about this movie. But if it was uh, just my favorite him, part of the movie was Volcano Kid. Yeah, so Volcano Kid. I always like I always like looking because uh, it's gotten much more. There's never really there's no room in script writing these days for like frivolous shit. Back in the old days, movies would just be full of frivolous gags and goofs, things that just didn't get called back to later. And I was like, how are they going to bring volcanoes back into this? <laughs> and then obviously the whole, like for me, the whole point of it was how, um, like it was like a little poke. It was a little poke at how past generations didn't really care about the environment. And then other generations years down the road are going to have to deal with it eventually. So the whole thing to me really was like climate change. It really felt like that the whole point of it was, there's going to be climate change and we need to do something about it. And that would be like the underlying message that they've decided to wrap up in this big alien movie time travel fiasco. I was wondering um, early on in the movie, I didn't, you know, uh, look up anything about this ahead of time. Um, so my question going into this movie is like, is this going to be uh, a metaphor for the pandemic? Is this going to be a metaphor for global warming? And uh, for a while, I thought it was leaning towards um, a metaphor for the pandemic, because the pandemic is also a sort of like enemy in the future that you need to do something to fight right now. And you had um, a lot of shots of people protesting the conscription of people to the future war. Yeah, saying like, not our Which, war. Right. To me, that seemed like um, maybe the filmmakers were likening that to uh, people who protest vaccines. Like, how dare you try to fight an invisible enemy we don't know exists yet? Yeah, there was a lot of social commentary. And then I always like, so whenever you have an alien movie, and I love alien movies, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of sci-fi. I'm a big fan of anything with, with time travel. I, I'm a big fan of the science fiction. So I'm going into this as a fan of this genre. Like, absolutely, I eat this stuff up. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it fell short on a lot of different, like, parts for me because, like, the big thing is always the reveal of the alien. You know, when you first started seeing promos for this, movie they wouldn't show any of the aliens and like they show a little oh bit. yeah they waited they show a uh, like bit. 45 minutes to show the alien and then they justify it as like oh yeah we decided that if we showed you guys what the aliens look like no one would would come and it's like right but the aliens were cute they look like naked mole rats if they were t a little bit smaller they really kind of would be like a little adorable things wouldn't they yeah, I took a screen grab of the first one. Um, I know I can't show that on the podcast, but I just thought like, oh, wow, what a cute little naked mole rattle curled up. Yeah, in terms of creature Smiling. design, the guy who did the creature design actually worked on Pacific Rim, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I did like that, like f from the design aspect of the aliens and how they kind of worked and stuff, I liked. But like, I, you know, I just imagine that yeah, they justified it. Oh, shoot him for in the throat or shoot him in the belly. That's the only two places that'll hurt. It's like, why didn't they yeah, just... Yeah, but then they went on to not shoot any of them in the belly. They were all, like, headshots when they wanted to kill him. Well, yeah, well, they were of, all neck shots. Yeah, yeah. None of, almost none of the people who are in this movie are actually, like, trained. You know, you got, like, The comedians. big queen enemy is, like, swinging her big belly around at the end, and no one takes shots at her belly. They yeah. keep going after her arms. Yeah. They shoot her arms so many times. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you got all these, like, it's plot armor. Like, they don't just have a thick hide. They have plot armor. Uh, I just, I thought it was interesting how, like, they are going in. I mean, I guess the guns they had look pretty cool, but I just figured, why not give them bigger guns? Like, give one or two of those people a grenade launcher and No, nah, they were fine. giving them video game loadouts. Like, there was the guy who had the shotgun. There was the AR-15 guy. There was the sniper rifle guy. 
and then there was the alternate assault rifle guy. Yeah, I just like I, it was left for dead. It was hard for me to suspend my disbelief that like they'd actually not be able to take those aliens down. Like, yeah, they got numbers, yeah, they got speed, but it's like, like well, they establish in uh, the very first shot of the movie that they have video game logic. So, like, remember um, at the beginning when um, Chris Pratt is floating through the sky and he falls in some swimming pool, and that allows him to survive a massive drop. Minecraft rules: if you fall in some water, you survive uh, fall damage. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So then it continued to just like. Okay, it's Left 4 Dead rules, or it's uh, Half-Life 2 rules um, for the most of the rest of the movie. And I felt like that uh, was a little bit dumb. Like, it feels dumb to, like, have a movie follow video game rules. But it was something that I at least was able to make enough sense and be like, okay, that's what the stakes are. And uh, take the action scenes on their own level. Yeah, I mean, and, and in terms of action scenes, I, I mean, I guess the only real action-y scene because most of the time they're just like running away or shooting. There's that cool scene where they're like in the pit trying to capture, capture the queen. You get like the big up close, you get the big up close battle and, and he goes down there and like sucker punches it or something. And then they put it in the cage. Like that was a right, pretty that was cool a very action. Starship Trooper scene. I like that one. I like, I also it, really like yeah. the um, Arctic scene at the end where uh, JK Simmons and Chris Pratt go back to back and, um, they like try to cover the field of view and everything is all snowy and they're not sure where the monster is going to be. And um, when they prick the monster in its arm and the monster rips its own arm off so that it's like, ha ha, the poison won't get to the rest of my body. I could rip my own arm off. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. It's got like, survival. I, I thought that was good acting. it's got like some survival knowledge. It, 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 it like knows how to, how to keep itself going, you know, which is, well, like I think one of the things that was a payoff to that scene, was like they made the um, aliens seem dumb and brutish, and they described them as just predators who look at humans as food. And then you see it's able to make this um, very intelligent decision to be like, no, in the bigger picture, I need to not have this arm, so I'm going to rip my own arm off because I see the big picture. I'm an alien. Humans yeah. can see the big picture. Aliens can see the big picture. Exactly, exactly. They they knew it was up. They're They're really the smart ones. I was rooting for the aliens most of the time. <laughs> Honestly, because it was just it got to the point where I just couldn't quite like wrap my head around just how how silly all these moves were. And then we get to the point where it's like, you know, you got like paradoxical loops whenever you, you deal with time travel and they come up early and they're like, oh, I wonder why they have it's because it's because we're dead. So we don't create a paradox when we go in because we're the, the only people who can fight this are the people who came from that time's parents, essentially, you know. They're bringing all their right. parents well, they in to fight their They war. say some of these things in the beginning of the movie, and then they um, have sort of like, they care less about the possibility of a paradox as the movie goes. And I think that's because um, earlier in the movie, we're just dealing with that lack of information between present and future. Is this going to cause a paradox? Is this going to be a problem? We don't know, and we're afraid to find out. And then later, um, as things get like more rushed and more uh, desperate, People just don't care about causing a paradox. They're like, oh, uh, maybe this will cause a paradox if I just try to turn the future into something else. But I care about my daughter. So um, the bigger picture doesn't matter. I have to do what I can. Yeah. And then so you're telling me that they could go into they can go into the future, grab a thing and then get back to the past. But they can still hold on to that thing. Could you do it with yeah, a person? Could you just hold on to a person and take them too? Um. I don't know. There's, these are the questions I that I have about a movie like this. It's like, well, couldn't they have just like 
sat there. Like, they were trying to get to a I helicopter. The this is the very they end. They just don't know. The very end of the oil tanker part. It's like, they're like, oh, he's with his, he's, oh, yeah, because keep in mind, he's got a daughter, Chris Pratt. He has a daughter who ends up becoming a Oh, yeah, colonel. the whole movie's about Chris Pratt having a daughter. It's all about fa- daddy issues, the whole movie. Really. When you, when you really break it down, it's like father relationships. Like, she... She comes from a future where Chris Pratt, like, apparently did ended up becoming a shithead of a dad and divorces the mom and and gets in a car wreck or whatever. And then she she lives the rest of her life being angry. So when she sees him, she's got this this baggage from a future that Chris Pratt's never experienced. Like he saw her last when she was like, what, 12 or eight or something like that. Nine, I think, is what they said. Yeah, like nine years old. So, like, you got these two people coming from, like, these two different points with two different perspectives, which I actually did think that was cool. Like, if I was going to be invested in any, like, a human human story, that was it. Like, that little scene on the beach they had. I was like, you know what? This, this, is, this is a really interesting scenario that they've managed to craft and sculpt and put into this world. And I was in Classic time travel pulp stuff, in my opinion. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, it was cool because time time travel stuff is always really interesting, and I always wonder how they are gonna explain things or not explain things. That tends to be the best. Is like they claim that they just kind of developed this thing. They figured out had this technology. They were working on it, and they just got right, it working. They, they had a line: uh, "If this wasn't an extinction level event, we would still be putting lab rats through it." Yeah, exactly. And now they're moving, you know, you know, tons of people at a time. And when they when they're like, oh. We need to abort. Should we abort? There's something wrong with the thing. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. But they already showed you that scene. Like the scene, the movie opens up with their first drop. So you know he's going to go there. So you're learning this and that and just trying to connect all these dots. And Yeah, the first 10 minutes of the movie really kind of leave you in the dark. Like you get this weird scene where um, everyone does this drop and Chris Pratt gets out of the pool and he looks around at everyone else and they're all like wearing ordinary clothes and they have guns. And it's like, what's going on? And then suddenly... It's Christmas. Chris Pratt is coming to a party. He's got booze. He gives the booze to his daughter and says, take this to the kitchen. I'm a great dad. Look at this uh, tuna that looks like Santa. Yeah, tuna oh, Santa. By the way, <laughs> yeah, tuna Santa was really good. I made a note of um, that. I have notes. I, I took notes throughout the movie. Oh, I'm glad we both focused on tuna Santa. Let's talk about tuna Santa. So tuna Santa is um, Chris Pratt's wife makes uh, Santa out of tuna for her Christmas party and nobody wants to eat it, but it looks adorable. And Chris Pratt promises that he will eat it. This does not get returned to ever in the movie. Never. It never gets picked back up again. Um, it's just a beautiful prop that they never eat. Yeah, it is. It is a beautiful prop. But I mean, honestly, if I was at that Christmas party, I probably wouldn't eat it either. Uh, just I wouldn't I want to be the first it. one to eat it because like, I wouldn't want to be the first person to tear up Santa's face. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be the first person to like dig into that, but you know, Food's, food's there to be eaten, but I mean, I guess if some people want to like decorate with it, whatever. It's, right. It was definitely an interesting thing. And also, I don't know if you noticed this, but did you know that they had a dog? I didn't notice the dog. There's a dog in the movie. At the very end, you see a dog <laughs> like chilling on a, on, a, on a chair. And I was like, why did they, they, you know, you missed a great opportunity. Like, how much uh, money did you spend really on this hard. movie? It's really hard to film stuff with a dog. It is. There's a lot of regulations. There's a lot of restrictions. But, like, the dog was just chilling on a chair. And I was like, why wasn't the dog in the in the party scene? Like, I would have been uh, – if they had introduced the dog very early on, you would have had me probably about 30% more invested just because I would have been like, oh, man, I hope this dog fights an alien or something. Oh, yeah, you're right. 
That is a big missed opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess they I had, have a lover. I always wonder, like, oh, man, is the dog going to survive? I hope the dog makes it. That's, you know, back from Independence Day, you know? Remember that? You remember this iconic scene of Independence Day where the dog jumps through the fire and survives? Yeah. That's it right there, you know? That's, Independence that's, Day was so good. Yeah. This and was a lot like Independence Day. So there was a lot of callbacks to movies that I really like, uh, uh, like Alien especially in that whole idea that there was a ship. So the aliens aren't actually like some smart race. They don't have a, they don't have a ship. What they have are they're like cattle. They're like storage. Much like the the xenomorphs in Alien. Yeah, they they seemed exactly like the xenomorphs from Alien. I thought when uh they go to um Russia and they find the frozen spaceship, this is uh the spaceship that almost crashed in Alien Resurrection. This is the um, ship that was uh, supposed to be heading to Earth, storing the uh, xenomorphs as weapons. And then, oh, no, they got loose. But they just didn't have H.R. Geiger designs. I thought this was, oh, this is where the movie reveals itself to low-key be Alien 5. Yeah, so now here's here's a couple of questions I have just about in regards to that. Because whenever they introduce, like when Prometheus happened, or not even Prometheus, and I think it was Aliens, the sequel, where they where they go and they see that ship and they see the, uh, they like are seeing this big guy. He's like equipped. He looks like he has like an elephant trunk and they're just, they never really answered again until Prometheus where we get a little bit more like knowledge. Like we see the pilots of this ship. We see them. They look not really human, but they have like hands. They have like a thumb, but they, they're they, clearly humanoid. They had like a head where you'd expect a human's head to go and stuff like that. Yeah, and like they sat down, they were strapped in, like clearly intelligent. Now, what is with these intelligent alien races that can fly through space carrying this cargo that like there's no there's no way they had anything on that ship that if those things got out of containment, they'd be able to like control them unless they well, were like pets. Nobody looks at the bigger picture. Yeah, no one looks at the bigger picture. Like, I would have been like, okay, so these guys are t- 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 bringing these. Well, they probably didn't know how many of them there were. They probably thought that, like, that first con- like that first little area they went into with the automatic lights turning on, the Philips Hue lights in the future, they were like, oh, okay, maybe this is just it. And they didn't go for the, they didn't go for the queen first. I would have gone for the queen first, honestly. Right, right. That was pure plot armor. Yeah, pure plot armor. The queen couldn't armor. die first. Um Ah, damn it. What? Well, I mean, like, I think that ship, uh, that frozen ship, we're both supposed to think that almost like it was the Enola Gay or something like that. Like, we don't have to worry about what happens if um, the atomic bomb gets frozen and who knows what happens to that. Is that going to cause future um, generations to have their own mutually assured destructions? So Uh, there, there was a moment, there was a moment when they were in that ship and I was like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if they're the ones who cause all this? What if it's that kind I of thought time they were travel? going with that. I thought when he took the uh, vial back and he was trying to figure out, like, huh, when did the aliens get here? He was going to find out, I took the aliens here in this little vial that's supposed to contain yes. uh, alien enzymes. Something like that. I was like, oh, they did it all along. Because I thought they were going for that kind of time travel. And then I kind of remembered how they explained it. There's, there's their time. There's our time. And they just both keep moving. And... Ne- never the two shall meet so that's just, right that's kind of how they do their time travel when the world ends in the future they stop being able to travel to the future 
Yes, yeah, that was like their final thing, which was, I mean, it was a dramatic moment, honestly. Like that whole. I thought that was pretty interesting, especially because we saw afterwards that the U.S. and Russia immediately afterwards are not able to cooperate enough to like investigate the aliens further. Yeah, yeah. You'd think it's a very bleak picture of humanity that this movie paints. This movie really paints humanity as basically incapable of dealing with the problem except by means of direct action and completely ignoring the larger picture. Yeah. And ignoring the larger picture also causes the problems, but don't worry, we can uh, zero in at a small enough scale that we can still win. Yeah. And then there was, a, a, what was it like? I call it the Dadis ex machina because they're like the very beginning. He's like, Oh, you know, so <laughs> you know, someone who can get you off the grid and he goes with his father to see if he can remove the, the thing so he can hide from the government. And at the end, they're like, ah, how are we going to get to Russia? I know a guy. And Mr. Whiplash himself. Mr. Whiplash himself. Jack Santa. Bring me pictures of Spider-Man and drum harder. Exactly. Exactly. And he, you Are know, you in front of the beat? Behind the beat? We're going to Russia. And then another thing, too, it's like there were a lot of things that were just very, like, the second I saw the, like, the second I even heard the girl in command and she was like, Forrester, this is your, here's your orders. I want you to do this. And I was like, oh, that's definitely his daughter. Like, I knew it immediately. <laughs> only only because they planted the seed where he was always giving her little objectives and things to do. Yeah. So I was like, it's definitely, it's definitely his daughter. I called that, like, that was something. Uh, the I only thought. reason I missed that is because I noticed um, the red shirt black guy, and I thought they were playing with the trope of, like, oh, you expect the guy in the red shirt to die, and you expect the black guy to die first. But no, this is the survivor. And I was... I was too focused on that subverted trope to notice that that was his daughter. Yes, yes. They did a decent job at subverting some things. But, I mean, I think the missed opportunity in that first drop was that they had these people who clearly were not going to survive. And rather than just slaughter them, like I wrote down in my notes, I am so ready for bodies to drop. Like I am just... I'm just ready for just massacre. I'm ready to see all these people get ripped to shreds. And it doesn't really happen like that. It's like everyone gets to like scream and have their moment, which I guess is cool or whatever. But I think it would have been way more effective if people just got ripped to shreds early on. It was like dad's army shit. It was like um, this fantasy that like, yeah, we could totally take this, uh, take on this thing. And we got to have that moment of like um, everyone gets to do their LARP and their cosplay as a soldier. But then we see how pathetic most of them are. And we see Mr. Try to be a hero fucking fail. And um, I felt like that was what the movie was going for. Like, you wanted to lean into the fantasy of, like, yeah, yeah, we're ordinary schlubs. But turns out we can pull it together and do military shit. Oh, wait, no, no, oh, no. Yeah, oh, no is right. And then the bomb drops on all of them in the very beginning. And You know, obviously that's... So I don't even know how they get out of that. They just drop a bomb on everybody, and then they wake they up. They just and run really fast. They just run really fast. They run past it. Yeah, there, there was some, there was some sh like weird cuts and edits in there. It made it look like they were going way further, and they always tend to like, like why, why? If you're gonna try to run away from something, why are you like running over these? Like you're trying to parkour over these things with giant gaps in the middle. It's just, I don't know. I feel like they. I just feel like they. Uh, they were just like doomed to fail because of the way they wrote it. <laughs> what I really wanted out of that scene where they were running away from the bombs was uh, 
something about how much that hurts your legs and knees if you haven't been running for uh, if you're not ready for it. Yeah, they didn't even do like a basic training. They had to just go instantly because of the whole. Right. They were doing research. So I was, it was like a research lab. Yeah. Which was, I guess, uh, interesting that they had like you know some researchy stuff going on. Well, I think um, that was part of the uh, explanation was like they weren't just sending people to be soldiers. They were sending people to be scientists in the future. Yes. We need scientists who would be dead in the future to go do more science after they died. Yes. More science after they died. So I, I don't know about you, but I do every like on occasion. My my big my big thing that I enjoy doing is going to IMDb and looking at trivia. And yeah. I found a really interesting trivia for this one. Yeah, I found an interesting bit of trivia where originally one of the plot devices was going to be that they don't train any of these people and they don't really care about giving them like military gear or good gear because they're actually just sending them to be meat. They're just sending them to get eaten because there'll be a distraction for them. And they ended up d dissolving that whole plot point. But that's you can see remnants of it in yeah. the final product. Oh, that makes sense. Which is like, I don't understand why they'll come up with these movie ideas, these concepts. Because I, 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 sometimes I feel like when you watch the finished thing, you don't really think about all of the stuff that goes into it, all the rewrites, all the edits, all of the, when they're sitting in the editing room, they're like, this just doesn't work. This doesn't read at all. We this, it's, yeah. like, When you're in the thick of it, you don't really notice what, you don't really know what's going to work until you're looking at the whole bigger picture, going back to the whole bigger picture discussion. So like right. they obviously had to edit a lot of this movie in post to kind of make it make sense. I feel like yeah, and it ended up not making much more sense. It it made less sense. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Uh I think that's the movie acting out what its real theme was. Yeah, it's just it not making sense. Like this objectively this is not a good movie i will say that like i don't think that this is a good movie it doesn't really have staying power yeah you got some star power i think almost all of the humor in it there was that guy sam richardson uh who was charlie he, you know he was really funny he's a really he, he he was like magnetic on the screen any scene he was in i really enjoyed but i it, agree it was not the place for it though it wasn't like this movie wasn't the place for like any sort of slapsticky comedy. Like I wish they had kind of kept it serious. And even like the little banter between Chris Pratt and his dad, it's like the, the script writing isn't bad. I'm not going to like knock the writer. I, well, but. what I would say it was like the uh, script overall was good. Like the scenario writing, I enjoyed all of that, but the dialogue itself was bad. It was a lot of like, um, here, let's pretend like we're ordinary casual people, but in fact, my name is uh, Cy, and we're doing a podcast together, and your name is House of Dub, and we met on IMDb, and this is a normal conversation. We'd say this kind of thing to each other. We just always remind each other who we are. Yeah, exactly, constantly, which is it's not – there's very little humanity in that, which is in a, a, a movie where you're trying to save humanity, it kind of makes the point moot, right? Yeah, except – I don't know. I thought they did a pretty good job of showing how much that uh, Chris Pratt was focused on his daughter and caring about her and really just wanting to save the people around him. I, I was on board with the movie, honestly. I liked it more than I think most people did. I looked up some other reviews, and you sound like you also thought this was a bad movie. I thought this was pretty good. 
I thought the plot was ambitious. I liked that the uh, story didn't end after uh, Chris Pratt did his job in the future. There's like a whole other movie's worth of story. And it turns out to low-key be a sequel to Alien, even though you thought that for, for a while this was going to be a pandemic movie. Uh, maybe it just has to do with the fact that I had low expectations, but I liked it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I didn't go in with any expectations, to be perfectly honest. It wasn't... I. I was just watching it. I wanted to watch it. I was looking to be entertained. It was late at night. I was I was hoping there wasn't anything like too scary that would keep me up. I was hoping there wasn't anything too exciting that would keep me like hyped up all night. <laughs> but ultimately, I was able to go to sleep just being like, oh, well, that was shitty. <laughs> I, I, that's that's kind of what my takeaway was. And I hope I don't have to watch my daughter die in the future after she thought I died after I went time traveling. Yeah, that was definitely so like there were these set pieces, you know, like they make these movies with these set pieces in mind. And you got that like slow motion shot of like an ocean of monsters and she's falling and he's jumping in after her. It's a good set piece. You know, when you look at the picture, when you look at just that silhouette, it's epic. It makes a really good promotional material. But, you know, in terms of in terms of like the emotional weight of that scene. I'm just thinking to myself, well, why, like, what, why, why don't they just like board up somewhere? Like, why do they got to get on a, on a, like, she's trying to evac, I guess, for herself, but like, he's just going to teleport wherever, you know, he's just going to go. It doesn't, doesn't matter where he is as long as he has the vial. Like, it seemed like there was just a lot of fluff at that moment. And they were just trying to like really panic, like explosions going off everywhere. You know, we got to keep the, the device thing safe so he can actually teleport back. And No, that scene was all about testing Chris Pratt's character's ability to see the bigger picture or not. Here he was almost, almost willing to completely sacrifice the whole past, present, future to save his daughter right now. Because he can't be cold and calculating enough to make a decision that would um, allow him to, like, logically go through and save it. Yeah, there was one really silly thing that happened. He's too hot-blooded. Yeah, there was one really silly thing that happened. It was actually like the series of events that happened right before that whole ending bit. Not ending ending, but this middle ending. There's like a middle ending, and then there's like an ending ending. The middle ending is when he's in the future and goes back. It's when when the the queen kind of like wakes up and sees them, and then she starts screaming, and apparently all of the... There's like a hive mind or something, she says. She's like, oh, the hive mind or whatever. Like, apparently they're all connected somehow, which is why. And he's like, no, we need to kill her. And he's like, no. She's like, no, you got to take the vial back and replicate it, which is like going back to what you said, like bigger picture, smaller picture. She's like, oh, no, if we kill this thing right now, maybe we'll be good. Obviously, it's not how that goes down. But it's like, I thought that was just a really, like, they just threw it in there to be like, oh, this is how these guys are going to attack. It's like. Things are going to happen regardless, but it's how you justify it in the movie, how you write it in there that really, like, for me, is going to yeah. sell it. And that just didn't sell it for me. It didn't sell it for me. Like, the stakes were just like, oh, obviously, they're they're going to get overrun, but how are they going to get there? And the way they got there for me was just like, ah. Like, well, I guess for me, the reason that worked is because I felt like the thematic stakes were there. The stakes were, um, is Chris Pratt going to sacrifice the whole present, past, present, future? for his daughter right now yeah and then i guess that really is the question but obviously he's not you know he's he's gonna he, he has like 20 seconds and he teleports oh no he almost didn't i for a second i thought he failed 
Oh, really? Yeah. When he first gets uh, flashed in there, I wasn't sure that um, his vial being in his hand would work or not. I was thinking, like, they don't know if they can actually send this back or not. They don't know if he screwed up. Did he, in that last moment, let go and try to grab his daughter and fail at that, too? I was genuinely not sure what um, what had transpired in those few seconds. So, like, I was still uh, with it, intense and eager to see what happened. Okay, like that was be working for me. See, I knew I knew that he'd be able to take it back only because that one guy had the claw. So, oh, true. He had the true, claw. That guy had the claw. You're right. And you know, no suspense there. That's yeah. my failure to put a pattern together and realize that was going to work. I pick up when you watch science fiction movies and movies like this. Small details are like the just the most delicious part for me. It's not. The oh, big... yeah. I was still all about small details, but I was looking at smaller ones. Like what kind of booze is Chris Pratt bringing to his Christmas party? <laughs> it was Coors Banquet. Of a course... very good beer. Yeah, Coors Banquet. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he was bringing some. Coors. He, he's a Coors guy. You can look at him. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the uh, like in scene bonus. I'm looking at the whole cast right now. And he, he is. He's, he's a Coors Banquet guy. <laughs> he totally is. So like, movies like this, though, when the, like the small little minutia, like one small detail that really stuck out to me that is going back to why I think that the whole the whole idea of it just doesn't stand. It doesn't stand in water for me is that like you, when they're investigating that research team, they go into the lab and you see like the spikes everywhere that those things shoot out and they're like halfway in drywall. Right. Like. That's that's nothing. Like I could punch a hole through drywall. Those things are like stuck yeah. in it. And then you're telling me that those things can just drop a body. I don't. I, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Honestly, I don't think that those things had the stopping power they were uh, touting. Uh, I don't know. It seemed like they could make everything into paper. I thought like um, the action scenes had an equal amount of weightlessness for most of them. Like they kept going to this trope of like, watch how they tear through that like paper and like. The metal is paper. The people are paper. The walls are paper. And there's no uh, differentiation of power because they tear through everything like it's paper. Yeah, they're just ripping stuff apart. Unless they're shooting at them, and then they're just a bullet sponge. Yeah, and their heads immediately explode. Well, every once in a while, you get a headshot. Yeah, every every now and then you get lucky. The rest of the time, it's because you've been shooting so uh, long that your circle, your reticle, is very wide. So you can shoot right at the thing, but it's not going to register as a hit because the recoil mechanics of the game won't let your accuracy be good enough. The circle's too wide. Yeah, no, you need to unlock the foregrip. No, you just need to wait a few seconds after you shoot so that the reticle shrinks again, and then your gun's accurate now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a couple of things that, for me, would have made this movie a little bit cooler. I think if they had a couple different varieties, uh, just not a lot more, but like one or two different types of aliens to kind of go along with these big guys. Like, let's just say that those are like the grunts and the soldiers. And you obviously have like the queen. And then like, if there were just some other things that maybe didn't pose as much of a threat, but were just harder to take out. And maybe they were more on the observing side that they could be stalked the whole time without, because there was that one scene where they were looking, he's like, you don't see it. And you can kind of see, like, obviously they're going to make the the aliens the same color as, like, the dust and debris in the background so you can barely make it out because you're trying to build a suspension. Like, oh, I want to see what these yeah. things look like. I got to see what these things look like. And then you, you almost see too much of them. Yeah, they look cute and ordinary, and they look like video game bad guys. They do. They look like – what was that? There was, like, some game that was, like, a PlayStation 3 exclusive. Like, there was, like, Chim Chimera. Resistance? 
Resistance. Yeah, Resistance Fall of Man. They look kind of like those things, only those are, those guys were like bipedal, I think. They could walk. They yeah. weren't. They didn't have like hind legs and stuff. So it definitely reminded me a lot of that. I mean, creature design, though, I did like the way the creatures looked. I, I thought that the ending bit where it's like he's punching it in the face and he like stuffed his hand in its mouth and then it bites down and a thing goes through its head. It's like there were things that like it should have ripped his arm off when it started going left and right. So there were huge, huge inconsistencies with how actually powerful these things are. Yeah. Like it, they can rip very fast and loose with how powerful they we were. We can rip a Humvee apart. Whoever's animating that scene, whoever's animating that scene decides. Yeah. You can, you can rip a Humvee apart, but a little metal cage, you're stuck. Some well, chains. A thick metal cage. Eh, it was kind that of was, thick. That was, <laughs> probably. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like there was that part where it kind of like pushes its head and it bends the bars a little bit. And I was like, oh man, should have brought what a bigger cage. What was your favorite art direction thing in this movie? I have a favorite prop. My favorite art direction, like my favorite, like, oh, for me, it was absolutely the alien ship and seeing the aliens at the end. The, 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 the smarter ones. That for me, I wish that there was a graphic novel or a 15 minute long video of uh, those This felt guys. like it should have been a graphic novel. Yeah. I feel like the stilted dialogue would have worked so much better in a graphic novel. It like, would have been just on board with that pulp but like give me give me the story of this spacefaring race that has these cattle like let me i want to know that story give me that context give it to me in another form that doesn't cost 30 million dollars to produce just let me see i want to know more so for me it was planting the seed of there's a smarter race they have these things for some reason and then we blow their whole ship up and we never get any answers I'm not saying i need answers my favorite prop was the syringe gun the syringe gun, okay. Because they had to have a whole fucking gun just to stick a syringe in something. It has to have a gun-shaped trigger because you can't just have them stick needles into the things. You can't have military guys sticking needles into a thing. That would look silly. They have to have gun-shaped syringes that let them shoot a gun that's a syringe. With giant needles. And bright green, bright green juice. Yeah, bright green juice, giant needles. <laughs> I mean, yeah, honestly, I didn't even think twice Did about Chris that. Did Chris Pratt's character have that, like, special design for this expedition? Does the military already have syringe guns that let military people uh, shoot guns that are medicine? No, no, no. That's, that's all J.K. Simmons. That's Dadis Ex Machina. He had them. He had the snowmobiles. He had the, he had the, the plane, everything. He got them from, from Spider-Man because Spider-Man was always known for making his own little web shooters that he could uh, turn his spit into the uh, web sway with. Yes. So, like, he's had access to this kind of technology the whole time. He's like, at all kinds of access to crazy syringes. Oh, all kinds, all kinds. It may have been, you know, the result of some issues in his past, but he's got all kinds of crazy syringes, all kinds of ways to inject. He's got a sniper syringe, a grenade launcher syringe. He's got all of them. He was so ready. So we assume that Spider-Man was in this story, but just instantly got murked by the aliens in the first wave? He was probably in the future, yeah. I yeah. I don't think so. In terms Not enough of armor. Uh, okay, in terms of superheroes, like if you wanted to put a superhero in this movie, then maybe like you know, um, you know, put up a resistance. Spider Man, he's useless. Spider Man is useless in this movie. Like he can shoot. Yeah, webs. they would just like he would shoot their web at them, and then they would like. Rah! And like they're too strong for the web. And then Spider Man, he's not wearing any armor, so he just gets spiked. Yeah. Quick. 
Batman is definitely going to have a better shot because he is really smart. So he'll actually like he's Batman would like retreat the first time. I think Batman is bigger picture. He would try to just go in as stealthy as he could capture one and then figure out whatever he can learn. Um, and he also, and obviously he would bring the right tools for the job. He wouldn't bring like, you know, a video game rifle. He'd bring a grenade launcher or something. No, he could have exactly the same video game rifle, but it would be, you know, the perfect one. Yeah. So I feel like Batman would probably be really good. Obviously Superman would, would wreck shit. We wouldn't have to worry about that. Iron, like if you had the Avengers, you know, Hawkeye's dead. Hawkeye's not making it out of this one. Those arrows are going to do nothing. But maybe he'd actually be able to hit the targets. He'd take out a couple of them. All right. So this is a movie that exists in the world of other movies. Like this movie relies on Alien Resurrection and Spider-Man to have happened. So that was one thing I actually really enjoyed was that because, you know, whenever you watch like, so I'll just going to this is going to be kind of a slight turn, but I'm I'm keeping on the same path as that. Whenever you watch a zombie movie, it's almost like they've never known. They never watched a George A. Romero movie. Yeah. It's like you tell me that this is a world like this is a world where no one's ever seen any George A. Romero movie. This is a movie where Resident Evil doesn't exist. Like no one knows what zombies are. So this is a movie where it's like th- what what alien movies existed and they didn't reference anything. I always think it's fun when they reference other movies or, you know, ready for a close encounter bitch. Obviously going back to <laughs> get obviously going back to Independence Day, because obviously in that world close encounters of a third kind, whatever that exists. Yeah. That exists. That movie existed and, and Will Smith referenced it. It's we exist in the same world. I just, for the, for some reason there was a huge disconnect where I didn't feel like I personally was living in this world or could even live in this world. Huh? I, I, I didn't, I did. There was no, there was no point of reference for me. Like I'll give you a, just the first example. They're all watching a soccer game. I don't, I don't, I, I can't stand watching soccer. I can't stand it. It makes me exhausted. The field is too big. Well, here's how I would imagine that. I don't watch any sports, but I can imagine being at a party where they're watching some sport I don't care about. So, like, boom. Yeah, I'm there. I wouldn't even be and at that then, party. Uh, I can imagine being conscripted and not wanting to be there. And it's like, oh, no, I, I guess I'm going to die in the future, so I have to die in the future. Shit. Maybe I'll run away to uh, J.K. Simmons. Oh, no, he thinks I'm wearing a wire. Guess I have to go to the future. I, I, I feel like that could happen to me. Nah, I did that. Did my my belief? I I was never I was never living in that world. There's some movies that get me in the world, like Jurassic Park. When I was young and I watched Jurassic Park, I legitimately thought Jurassic Park was a real place when I was a kid. I thought it was real. I was so I was like, they 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 got dinosaurs. They exist. A T Rex could be could be living down the street from me. It could have gotten off that island. Like I I existed in that world when I watched like. Alien versus Predator, which is a, just the stupidest movie ever, but I love this how stupid that movie was. I actually was like, oh man, I could I could imagine this because like they just they just decided to nuke the whole island afterwards. They decided just to nuke the whole area, which was kind of cool. I mean, going back, I mean, I, I like I said, I love science fiction movies. I love alien movies, so I've watched a whole lot of them, and I enjoyed seeing like where you could tell they were pulling stuff from and taking stuff from like the thing they 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 took a lot from the thing too i think yeah in this movie i visually i think yeah they borrowed a lot of that same imagery of like uh grizzled guys uh holding guns and driving snowmobiles and but there's also science 
there's also science because you yeah. gotta remember they were all researchers in the thing. They weren't just like military people. They were they were researchers. They were they were up in the Arctic. They were studying stuff. But like the story behind that monster is it was a prisoner that escaped a ship. Yeah, it was a prisoner. So like that thing had a little bit more of a I get I guess malice. Whereas these things really aren't intelligent. Maybe maybe if like there was just some hint that these things were a little bit more intelligent than just like wanting to eat. It could have been a little bit cooler. Like if they had some kind of rudimentary form of communication, that could have been cool. Well, the queen was able to call to her brethren when she was in trouble, and she was also able to rip her own arm off. Yeah, so that's like one of them is smart, which is, I guess, I mean, is that real? You're telling me that like one thing is smart and they managed to take down like all of the world? Well, uh, imagine if you were like one being with millions of bodies. Like, you had one central body, but you also could seamlessly control with a hive mind everybody or a million other people. Or maybe you couldn't directly control them, but you could tell them basically what to do. I think you'd be very formidable, and you'd only need one intelligence directing all of that, I think. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, you know what? Actually, it's kind of smart. You got one captain steering the ship, making sure that uh, things get taken care of business. You know, the buck stops somewhere, and it stops at... This this slightly lighter shaded alien with like a which red fortunately evil face. we're killing last. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I did. I did like the line at the very end where he was like, "Did you just tell it to die? Why didn't that you worked. do it? Why didn't you do it sooner?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was going to ask you if you remembered any lines from this movie, and I, I realized the only ones I remembered were like exposition about how the time travel worked and the thing about Stevie Nicks. Um, <laughs> uh, what was that whole line? Uh, I wish Stevie Nicks would show up naked Steve- with a with a with a thing of pickles and something else or something. A bottle of baby oil, a jar of pickles, and a bottle of baby oil. It's the stupidest. That's the dumbest line writing ever. Like whoever wrote is that she is going to tag him with the pickles. I have no idea. Because I I feel like that's suboptimal. I have Even no if idea. You're into being pegged. I feel like pickles ain't the way to do it. I, I wish he would have been more specific. Like what kind of pickles? There's, a lot, <laughs> there's so many kinds of pickles. Right. Are they bread and butter pickles? Are they dill pickles? Are they artisanal pickles? Does he want to eat the pickles? Maybe that's what it's about. Honestly, maybe I, the uh. maybe the baby oil and the pickles aren't supposed to mix. They're just supposed to eat the pickles, and then the baby oil is still lubricant for you know all the naughty purposes we can imagine. Now, can we? But we're not we're not inserting pickles into anybody. No, we're not. So I want to talk about to one of my so as a sound person, as a person who who does sound live and recording. There was one thing that stuck out to me very early on in the movie that just made me go, oh, it's one of these. When they first come on the soccer field, and I guess she already got mic'd up with a lav and was wired into the stadium's PA system. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah. That, so that right there was for me, it was like, uh, that's not how that works at all. I was just thinking about her acting choices for that scene. I forgot to even consider, like, oh, she's mic'd up. I was just thinking about how she was emphasizing, like, the people of the future need you. Because this really emphasized need that sounded very serious. And it's a hard cadence to get right. Like, I was just thinking about it in terms of acting. I can't do a very good impression of it. But somehow uh, there was a very, like, gravitas but pleading tone that was very like real and i could imagine like yes everyone would believe her talking about this yeah it was also like the the mickey mantle type reverb yeah like the the what is it like an eight second delay (laughs) you know 
We are you, 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 from the future, future, future. We need you, 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 to help fight our war, war, war. That, that to me just took it out. But like, I know that on some sporting, you should make a tutorial about getting uh, that tone in your recordings. Ah, maybe. I, mean, I think that's a great word of God tone that I think lots of producers would want in their songs. I want it. I sound like if that. We I'm, looked at that really closely, and like, you made a tutorial about that. I think that would be some. I just good you know pull up pull up any reverb plugin and whatever preset has stadium, and then find yourself like a long throw delay and turn the feedback up a little bit, and that should. And then get that that nice proper mix of how much of the dry to how much of the wet. I feel like it'd be really easy to overdo the wet because it came across clean, but you could still hear all that big spatialization. Exactly. So that from a sound man perspective, that thing took, took me right out of it. But, <laughs> keep in, but how did, how the fuck did they get her to sound that nice? She's that, not wearing a laugh. Exactly. Now, if they had done it on like a football field and I mean like American football, they actually do mic up some players and they do mic up the field. They have that whole uh, intricate wire system above everything. And they, it's, it's actually like mic'd up. You can, you can hear so. So I would have actually believed it in that situation, but like a soccer field is just too big. They don't have that kind of stuff. They just film really far away and they zoom in and they zoom out. I can't, I personally, I can't watch it. I, I, it's just, it's just too much running around for me. It makes me exhausted. But at least you emphasize uh, how hard it is to run at that level. Yeah, it is. It's very hard. But, I mean, they ran the whole time. <laughs> now, one of the things that I also really like, one of my favorite, like, action movie tropes was he he ran out of ammo in both of his guns. So, obviously, there's a fire axe next to him. Right. I thought the second gun was really funny. Because the first gun, like, that was very plausible. And then he pulls out the pistol and it does nothing. And then there's a later scene where he does it again. He pulls out the pistol and it does nothing. And it's like, should have gotten the pistols from Halo. Right? Or the Deagle. I mean, the dad had the Deagle. The de- <laughs> Deagles are nice. All these guns have terrible recoil times. The circle gets so big, you can't shoot it. You can't even shoot a belly. No, they had no good aiming. Oh, so uh, and then there, there was one. There was one line. One of my favorite lines is where he's like, "The dad is shaking at the very end." He's like, "You're shaking. You stay here." He's like. This is the one thing I'm good at. And then I just imagine that exact same. Well, I thought that, that was confusing because they established really early on. He's very good at other things. He can disassemble a cybernetic device drunk. Yeah, he did a really good job. He had like nine of those things in that freezer. Yeah, he was like, check it out. This is easy for me. I'm going to do some drinking and I'm going to do a cybernetic surgery. No problem. Yeah. And he, he, you know, he maintains a huge aircraft that cannot be easy. Yeah. You know, he's like a one man flight crew. That's that's so I think, and in terms of killing, he didn't actually kill anything. You know, he, it was, it was the guy, Charlie, who actually manages to kill the one alien that got out with a, no, before that he sniper rifle, like eight of them. And then that one comes up and he's like, I can't get too close to this before my gun reloads. And then uh, he does the video game chainsaw moment. Yeah. And I, like, so here's, here's just something he says, like, is the one thing I'm good at. It's like, you've hunted aliens before. Were you with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first predator movie? Like what? Like I, you were in Vietnam. One like, thing you, I'm good at is leaving you behind. <laughs> I just, I, I it, there was this parts. Like, I feel like when he first, the, the reveal, cause you got to keep in mind, we've, we've been conditioned by this point in the movie we know what the aliens look like. We know how they move. This guy, J.K. Simmons, his character, he hasn't seen them. He doesn't know how they move. 
He doesn't know anything about them. I don't know if they briefed him or... I'm sh- I have to assume they did because he's got a sniper rifle and he knows what parts to target. Yeah, so they probably told him... Maybe they told him about the fact that they could smell blood a mile away and that's why he cuts his hand at the end and it goes for him. Yeah, I think there was just a previous draft of the movie where he also went to the future and therefore he he knows. <laughs> <laughs> he's already been there it's just it would have taken too too much money to shoot his like whole story arc it would have like added 20 30 minutes to the runtime of the film i'm sorry we just can't see what jk simmons did in the future but uh he did go he did go fight aliens he met a different daughter not his daughter but someone else's and it taught him some valuable lessons that he was able to apply when he got back to the present and chris pratt was there i for a moment thought that J.K. Simmons' character was alive 30 years in the future, and we were going to get a scene of J.K. Simmons looking even older. <laughs> that I was holding. Oh, out that would have been awesome. I was hoping because the scene where they where they stole the queen, they're driving away. I was like, well, they did. They went for a dramatic moment on a beach. I thought they were going to go for, oh, this is Fubar. We got to get somewhere. And then all of a sudden, J.K. Simmons' character like rolls in, still alive, super old. I was hoping yeah. I was really holding out hope that we'd get like 87 year old JK Simmons. Cause he's like 60, he's probably like 60, 70, 80, 90 year old JK Simmons, jacked and bearded. <laughs> swooping <laughs> in, in, a, in an Apache helicopter. That'd have been cool. That's something I was holding out hope for. I didn't get that. I ended up imagining things more in this movie than they presented. And the stuff that I put up in my head was, was usually like, would have been more interesting for me. I I feel like a movie that prompts my imagination is a little better than one that like uh, goes down smooth and it's you're along for the ride and it's brainless and nothing really sticks out in a bad way. I feel like a movie that you have to reckon with a little bit to make sense of, or you want to imagine a better version of it. That's actually more exciting to watch. Yes. Imagining like I could imagine a better version of this movie. Yeah. And I did while I was watching it, but there were some things that I couldn't have done better in my head because I just kind of appreciated how they told the story. Like just the idea of them on the beach talking about how he died. Like they plant the seed that they know that he, he dies in seven years. And it's like, well, okay, tell him how he dies. And like, ah, no, I'm just going to leave that there. Leave, leave, leave it's the- best not to talk about it. Was what they said. Yeah, it's like there's uh, we got we'll we'll talk about it like you know that don't worry there'll be a dramatic scene on a beach with a bunch of tears you'll you'll get it you'll get and there. she's gonna drive right along the wave line. Yeah. It might make more sense to drive the vehicle like somewhere safer, but no, we're gonna make sure that the wheels and the underside of the vehicle get wet with salt water. Yeah, I feel like that they, this will uh... cause no problems in the big picture because the world is about to end. Yeah, I you know I I feel like uh, they also shouldn't have been able to get away from those guys at that scene. That was like another one of those, how, okay, they, they survived the bomb. It's like, okay, they survived taking the queen and having a little army of those things chasing after them. They got out somehow. They, they, they just managed to drive really fast. (laughs) I guess I'm filling in some gaps for the movie here. My guess is that the aliens just don't have unlimited endurance. They can run after something faster than most things to chase them, but they can't just keep doing that forever and ever. So at some point, they all collapse from exhaustion or uh, they have to stop and rest and they can't keep going 
um, at the endurance of a motorized vehicle, which can like literally run for six or seven continuous hours. Yeah. So the aliens metabolic cycles, let's talk about this. So they talk about how there's a seventh day where they rest. The aliens all decide to rest on the Sabbath or something like that. Right. Yeah. The aliens do six days of activity and then one day of inactivity, the Sabbath. Yeah. Which, you know, it's very interesting. I thought that was a cool thing, but it never comes up again. Never. It never comes up Yeah, they up never again. came up with, like, a reason for that. They never come up with a reason than, for um, it. It gives the humans some convenient time. It uh, is some balancing issues. It solves some balance issues that allow the humans a chance. I, I would have enjoyed a scene where they kind of – so, like, they do go into the nest. You see they have a nest. There's, like, a pit of bones, and it's obviously very scary. It's very intimidating. But it's like I would have enjoyed seeing a scene where maybe the aliens are like a la, a la the egg scene in Alien, you know, where they're, they're just seeing all these eggs. It looks harmless. And then all of a sudden there's like, oh, God, we got to run. It would have been really cool if they had gone into a hive on this day of rest and like they were catatonic almost. And they discover that, oh, wow, these things really they, 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 they really knock out. They really rest. But then something wakes them up and then they have to escape. I thought it would have been more interesting if they had gotten information rather than capturing a queen. That whole scene where they captured the queen and they gene sequence and they they run all those tests. That whole part of it really fell flat for me. There was just nothing going on. Yeah, that on. felt a lot of like uh... – well, actually, one part of that worked for me. I really liked uh, Chris Pratt's line about uh, can you give me the specific information that I could use for betting purposes? That's funny. Like he started off talking about, um, so what happened in the past? Oh, did you see any good sports games? Oh, who won? What was the exact score in the spread? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that... made me laugh pretty hard because I felt like that was just a well-delivered line. Uh, There was a good expectation of, you know, like them connecting. And then he's like, ha ha. What if, what if I wasn't really connecting? What if I just wanted to bet? Wouldn't that be fucking terrible? Well, uh, and they were able to laugh together at the broken tension. Yeah, I guess there was tension there. It had to be because that was like the thing they did before that was, you know, yell at each other on the beach about how much they had, I don't know, resentment for each other, I guess, or something. Or she had resentment for him, something like that. They had to do the scene in the lab because they established that he was a biologist and he wanted to work in a real lab, you know? Yeah. that They just had to do they it. They had it was- to give him some science to do. They had to. That was like they just it was just a necessary evil. It's just what they had to do, which I I get it. I just don't think it really just kind of stopped the movie dead in its tracks when all I really wanted was information. Like I didn't want to play this game of 38 percent match or 34 percent, 100 percent. match. (laughs) I I didn't want to play that game. I wanted to play the how much more information can we really squeeze out of this of this of these aliens? How much more can we learn? And we don't really learn anything. We don't learn about why they rest. We don't learn about like what you said. Maybe I think what your your point that they probably can exert an extreme amount of force. They could probably run really fast, but they can't do it prolonged because their metabolic races don't allow them to. They need to eat. They have to rest. They just can't keep it up. I agree with you. The scene would have been a lot more interesting if we learned some like uh tactical information rather than uh develop a magic device that kills them yeah yeah like they didn't they they they, they were go they went straight for the nuclear option they went straight for the nuclear option which is yeah, smart. Let's build, you know science yeah, like, like they, they I, never have any focus on anything like we need a nuke that just kills these things yeah 
That's our goal the whole time. We're not fucking around with any other goal. Yeah, it would have been it would have been for me. It would have been juicier if they just decided to get more information. Like going back to my main point where it's like I really wish they would just give us, you know, a 15 minute thing cuz like you ever you ever play the the video games um uh Dead Space? Um not really. So Dead Space is a series of video games where you got these monoliths and like you could you could pretty much deep dive into the lore of it and to the comics of it and all the little intricacies of it. There's so many different like ways to go about and learn things because they've decided to make it so multimedia. It went huge. And then obviously yeah. it fell apart because they just pushed it too hard. But I really wish that they made too many of them in too short a time. Yeah. Well, the video games, they only, I think they only made three plus there was like some like um, online. Well, what I remember was the third one wasn't well received. Yeah, but they also made they made uh like an animated thing. They made um uh, you know comics. They made all sorts of media just to give you more information about the things, the human element that like went into creating the story. And I just wish that a movie like this, where they introduce all these like really interesting things, like these other aliens, I really wanted to know more about them. I really did. I wanted to know more about the aliens that brought those things there. And I wish that there was something I could watch or read or look into that would just explain it. Like you're not giving us like a compliment to the movie though. Yeah. You're not That's... giving anything away. It's just like, give me more, but they don't do it. They don't do it, which is why it's like, like I could tell you right now, this movie is never getting a sequel. It's, it's yeah. done. Like, but I there's... think what you're talking about is a marketing trend because um, I remember around like uh, the late two thousands, Chronicles of Riddick was a whole multimedia franchise. They tried to do a whole multimedia franchise with simultaneous graphic novels and video games and um, anime about Van Helsing. Oh, yeah. The Van Helsing movie came out. Like, I think there were just a lot of attempts around the late 2000s to not just make, like, one-off sci-fi movies, but a whole franchise. I mean, let's talk about one of the greatest ones, one of the greatest promotional campaigns for a sci-fi alien movie ever, and that's Cloverfield. Oh, Damn, that was a good promotional campaign. You you didn't know what Cloverfield was about unless you spent about 40 minutes on the internet on these weird-ass websites, fake Facebook pages. Right, that was dedicated to the experience of uh, dealing with something larger than you that you can't understand. And it was like, so the movie real. Focused on that, and that really made you want more lore and information about it afterwards. And that was, that was really good. Let me give you an example of how much... Hell. To give you an example of how much I fucking loved Cloverfield, I have in my wallet my ticket stubs from when I went to go see it because it came out on my birthday. It came out on March 11th. I don't remember what year, Aww. but it came out on my birthday, and I saw it, I shit you not, like seven times. I went and saw Cloverfield like seven times because I was so invested in everything that they put out there for us to just – they put it out there, and it was like, we're not going to tell you where to go. We're not going to tell you what to do. But it's out there. And that's just J.J. Abrams and the world building and the storytelling that went into it. And for movies like this, they're just like, hey, here's the movie. J.J. Abrams, before we'd all gotten sick of his, like, tropes, before he'd reused all of his bag of tricks multiple times. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they got, he got way too dependent. I mean, one person can only produce so much original content before they just become playing the hits. I, I agree with that. That seems like, in general, a big uh, trend of the multimedia landscape is uh, you get someone who's very talented, who does something really fresh and wonderful, and they get them to keep doing it for uh, 
five to 20 years, however long until it's absolutely intolerable to keep doing that same shtick until that beautiful, fresh shtick seems lame as hell. Yeah. Like, is this movie going to kill careers? No. Is this movie going to like, sp- like spark an, a, a series of movies that are based on that world? I, I don't think so. I don't think they're good. If anything, like you said, this would be a great video game. It would be. It would be. Yeah. A re- it would be a really cool video game if you could. If you were a soldier and know, you actually, can fight I feel a like war it's... in two different times, and you were going back and forth. I'd be about that. I would play that video game. That would game. be cool, actually. I was thinking it would be redundant to video games because it felt like um, here are the aesthetics of a Source Engine shooter. Um, here are Minecraft physics. Here, like it just took place within the rules of a video game. Yeah, I don't think I don't want to turn that into a video game again. I just felt like it was borrowing the dramatic. Uh, dramatic framework of video game logic it did it it, it did it, it felt like you're playing the campaign mode in a video game i mean from from it'd the... be nice if it was more like doing the multiplayer in a video game yeah i liked uh during the ending of the the second part of the movie during the ending of the future part um it just seemed so much like uh, Left for Dead and trying to negotiate through, like, who's going to do what in the sequence? No, I need to do that. No, I need to do that. And it had that kind of um, multiplayer uh, multiplayer bants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, are you going to carry the or med that. kit? No, I'm going to carry the pipe bomb. Well, I got the boomer bile. You don't need the pipe bomb. I got the bile. Get the med kit. You get the most points for assists. So I am going to just shoot syringes at everyone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly you need to be the heavy so that it can charge up the uber and that's the way we're gonna do this so we're both we're both musicians we both do music and one thing that i was very underwhelmed with was uh the, i thought the soundtrack for the movie uh was garbage because i never oh, thought yeah. about it i once. wanted i wanted to talk about the audio but i realized i couldn't remember like um anything interesting about the audio there were no themes there was nothing there was nothing in there were gun sound effects and there were helicopter sound effects and they sounded pretty similar and you could tell the difference between the different guns. That was sound design. The movie could have very, it would have benefited so much from like some sort of like um, 80s sort of sci-fi trope music. It really would have given it some like character in life, I feel like. Is there, oh, I, anything with style. Any, anything with real like style. So like... It could have been like a really 70s soundtrack. It could have been a really 80s soundtrack. It could have been like a very um, Bjorkish soundtrack. That could have, that would have been cool. That could have been cool. Something something to give it a little bit more personality outside of we spent a lot of money. We hired we hired Star Lord. You're gonna like it. You better like it. Mm, Who eh. did the soundtrack for that movie? Which one? Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. No, um, the one we just watched. Oh, the I don't even the future think. War. Here, let's see. I'm in. I'm in the whole cast, and I don't even. I don't oh, know. also, if you're not looking at it right now, do you remember what the aliens were called? They were called White Claws. White Claws, yeah. Claws. Law. They weren't actually called like the, uh, the drink, but that would have been more fun. Yeah, Claws Law. I actually for I I made a note of it. I was like watching. I was like, what the f- what the hell is the name of this movie? What is <laughs> What am I? Watching? I had to look it up so many times. The I kept forgetting the title war. of the movie. The I kept thinking, oh, war. the future war, the war, the war of the end. Uh, no, that's not it. It just kept not sticking. The tomorrow war. Tomorrow there's a war. Guardians of the Galaxy, Florida edition. 
<laughs> they, they, the first thing takes place in Miami Beach, which I was like, you know, oh God. Of course, of course. I mean, honestly, it didn't even look different. That's exactly what Miami Beach looks like. When they go to the future, it's all on fire. That's what it looks like now. So, I mean, they're lucky that they decided to go with a setting that didn't really require much CGI to begin with. Peter G. Adams is the name of the composer. Peter G. Adams? Are you on his IMDb page? Uh, yes, I am. What other, what other credits does he have to his name? Um... Rango, Far Cry 4. Rango? Yeah, do you remember Rango? I remember Rango. I actually kind of oh, enjoyed he Rango. Oh, he also for Megamind. Megamind? Oh, yeah, Megamind was this um, DreamWorks animated movie. It had Will Ferrell. And uh, the whole point of Megamind was to subvert the uh, tropes and expectations of a hero versus villain story. And they showed how the person who um, is initially set out to be the villain is really a victim of circumstances and is able to turn it around when the stakes really call him to do it. Interesting. Well, I guess that guy is kind of pigeonholed into the kind of movies he's composing for. Well, he also um, directed or did uh music for a lot of movies that i just simply hadn't heard of the neon demon war dogs sandcastle the foreigner den of thieves i i just don't know these movies i don't know these movies either so like one of the some of the biggest takeaways from it were they did manage to create a world and a story that was captivating they didn't enrich anything enough with the elements that you'd come to expect from like a really a really bold film dealing with science fiction. Cause there's this science, there's so much you can do. Like, even when you think about like the alien movies, going back to that, like whenever doors open, any science fiction movie, like doors opening and things moving, yeah. there's always really cool sounds there. The aliens themselves, there's a scene where they're escaping after they capture the queen. And like one alien makes a, a, a dumb grunt noise that they never make again. But it was like the only different sound that you heard the aliens make is like they do a clicking the entire time, which I guess is whatever. They but click and they sometimes do the Wilhelm scream. They, I didn't hear a single Wilhelm scream. Oh, uh, there was a Wilhelm scream, I think, uh, um, when they are first deployed to the city after they've, um, you know, uh, regained their footing from trying to not uh, immediately fall to their deaths. Um during that uh, first, oh no, the aliens are here. There's a Wilhelm scream. Wow, I missed it. I would have much preferred a SpongeBob, my leg, after that. <laughs> that would have that would have worked out way better. It would have been on. It would have. I wouldn't even second guess it. It would have just worked. <laughs> Although, my leg. I have to say, there was a scene very early on. I, I always really enjoy scenes where I guess the I guess the wife is a group therapist. And she's doing like group oh. therapy with people who came back and like they're all missing limbs, particularly legs. And then I was yeah. thinking back to when they dropped. It's like, what if they because they, they act like they knew how they were where they're going to land. They're going to you should you know, should only land about 10 feet. Well, you should, even though they didn't. It probably malfunctions all the time. And like everyone would just get teleported and break their legs. Right. And also when they teleported people back, what's the first thing that happens? You immediately fall on some concrete. Oh, my God. Yeah. Put some crash pads there. <laughs> how many broken hips how many... just on bringing people back yeah no it's they just definitely didn't think especially about especially when they're all like over 40 everyone you're bringing back is over 40 and you're having them fall on some concrete yeah and it, uh, great job not a shit show at all this humanity is gonna survive 
And I, I kind of like they went for the the beginning. They went for the whole we're gonna mix some people who look like they're a bit more grizzly and and combat experience. They've been on a couple tours with people who are just going now. They're like teachers and chefs and whatever. I think they really missed a good Expendables moment where they could have gotten a couple of bigger name actors or even smaller name actors to have been like, you're not oh, badass. Yeah. Like this movie could have used a Dolph Lundgren type actor oh man if Dolph Lundgren was one of the guys who came back from the past and just was like just to be in one scene and give Chris Pratt a look like oh you think you know what you're in for yeah or he's just someone who's who's dropped before or he's dropping for the first time like give me an actor who's been in an action movie like give me some of the people from Expendables but make them normal people going into this war they missed a good opportunity to have like some of those because you they specifically say everyone's over 40 so you could have gotten some really cool or older actors to portray normal people in this extreme circumstance, which I think oh, could have right. It could have been cool. So that would have been even more subversion because obviously they're all about subverting things. That would have been even cooler for me. They missed a really big opportunity to get a couple, just like like a couple other names. Like give me just like one or two other marquee names that could have just been in minor roles that just get ripped apart. Give me Matt Damon. Matt Damon could have been in if, this movie. Part of the Mark initial Hamill drop. One of the guys, what if Mark Hamill was one of the guys who got instantly murked? That's what I'm saying. Like it would have been really cool to see that. It would have been really interesting to get that perspective of we're not going to, we're going to bring in like this big name actor and then we're going to kill him off in the first thing. Like, didn't they do that with Emilio Estevez in the first mission impossible? He's like move. he's like second build in the whole movie, and he's dead in the first ten minutes. Oh, it's a great move. That's a it's a. I haven't seen that movie, but that sounds that actually that's that sounds good. It's a good move, and they really missed the opportunity. Like I understand, hire no names, hire cheaper actors. It's easier to do, and obviously Chris Pratt probably ate uh, up half the budget. For one scene, you just need him for one scene. Yeah, you just need him for once. A cameo, like the movie could have used a cameo, but it could have been a little bit more than a cameo. You could have gotten one or two scenes out of it, like. No disrespect to any of the actors playing like normal people. They all did a really good job, even though they look oh, like. Yeah. Even though they, I thought in general the acting was pretty strong in this movie. Yeah, I felt like my barometer for how how do I know the acting was good? Well, I noticed the dialogue was bad, but I was still pulled along scene to scene. I was still caring about the characters, so I assume that's either the editor or the actors. One of the two of them is doing enough of the work to make the movie uh, succeed. So. Good acting, good editing. Yeah, good acting, good editing. I mean, did it need Chris Pratt? I feel like it didn't, personally. I don't think the movie would have existed without Chris Pratt. He was executive producer. Yeah, I feel like they just kind of tossed him that role to make him say yes. Uh, maybe. Because it's his first time doing it. He's never done it before. There was more vanity involved. More of his vanity uh, would have caused the movie to get made. That's mm. usually my assumption when something is all no-name except one person. Because Also, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, I, I just... Where they decided to pick their shots for comedy, like, obviously, Chris Pratt is, I wouldn't, like, yeah, he does action, but I honestly look at him as a comedian first. I look at him as, like, comedic relief before I look at him as, like, action guy. Well, my assumption is that um, anyone who's good at comedy is good at pathos. Um, I don't know how often that actually works out, but I felt like, uh, remember Bill Burr in his small roles in Breaking Bad? Oh, yeah. He was able to bring so much gravitas to uh, very small parts in that show. Because he had like such skill with comedy and such a great command of timing, I yeah. think those things uh, translate to knowing how to subvert your expectations and do things with timing. Those tend to work out in a character landing in a dramatic way, even if you don't expect him to have um, 
gravitas or whatever. But that's all Chris Pratt was doing. He was just standing around with gravitas. He was acting like he was acting like he wasn't a comedian. He had a couple of really funny lines, but most of the time he was uh, using just like, oh, I'm a handsome and nice guy. I look good in this pose kind of acting to make the movie work. Yeah, obviously there was a little bit of that eye candy thing. They had him take his shirt off in the first like 30 minutes, I'm pretty sure. That, that that whole scene where he's like sitting down in the chair and they strap him all in and there's just like all this unnecessary tension. <laughs> like, why can't anyone just be like a little bit more human? It's like, hey, yeah, we're going to. No, gonna... because they can't see the bigger picture. They're in too much of a hurry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can't explain shit to you, man. Shit's going on. Shit. We have to like have eight people doing stuff to you because shit is going on. We don't have time to talk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's. Time is of the essence. So, I mean, you got you got this, like, world of he's still living in, I guess he lives in Florida, I guess, because they had Christmas and there was no snow. But then again, it doesn't really snow in New Jersey either that much during Hey, maybe it could have been L.A. Could have been L.A. I don't really know where he lived. It was, it was really hard to, like, pinpoint. But, like, he's living here. He's a teacher. He's trying to get a job. And then you got these people from the future who are just like, we, there's no time. We got to go. And they're all young, too. They're all young people. Yeah. They're all really young. You got to keep in mind that everybody who's in charge, all the people who are in charge, more or less, of this operation happening in the future, they're all really young. There's no old people left. You don't see anybody old in that in that time. Well, you don't really see anybody. You, you get introduced to, like, what, like two or three people other than Well, what her? they explain is that uh, there are only about 500,000 people known to be living in the future. So I think other than the people they grabbed from the past, um, there just aren't that many of them. Now... Something that obviously didn't really play into this movie at all was the fact that, like, our society in, like, where we're living right now, we're obviously looking towards the stars. We're looking to space. We're looking to, like, start putting people on Mars. It's like, obviously, that all just doesn't happen in this movie because there's, you know, why not put some people in space or something? You know, why why put the uh, research think, lab? Think we're going to get that done in the next 20 years? Because if you asked me 20 years ago if I thought we'd get that done in the next 20 years... I'd have said yes. Yeah. That's what I'd say too. I would but say I, like, I think I'm starting to think like um you know they've been saying since the since the 60s that they would get, you know, people start living on the moon eventually. And uh, no meaningful progress has occurred in getting people to live on the moon. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you'd even want to live on the moon, but having a base up there could be cool. I mean, one of my favorite sci-fi movies that's not very good and was not critically well received was Independence Day 2 Resurgence. Oh, I didn't see the sequel. It, I only saw the original. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'll watch it all the time. I, I will rewatch it again and again and again just because of how much I love it, because of how they took this story of Independence Day and then put it in the future. We reverse engineer all their tech, but the aliens come back, and then there's other aliens, and there's other societies, and you learn all this great stuff. And it's just a really good movie, and obviously Will Smith isn't in it. They, they kill him off off screen. But you got Jeff Goldblum, you know, Jeff Goldblum saving the world, which is awesome. And Chris Pine is in it. He's pretty much Chris Pratt, but like discount Walmart brand. Yeah. Got to have a crispy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So got to get that crispy quality. I feel like they could have probably introduced an element of like we're in space or something. I don't know. Could have been cool. There's there was some sciencey fictiony stuff that I would have liked to have seen. I would have liked to have been a little bit more impressed with the future, but it's like all they managed to do is figure out how I'd to like open to a wormhole. I'd like to be more sad about the future. Yeah, they didn't really do a good... 
it did seem sad. It did seem like this was a lonely place where they had enough space and enough resources for everybody. And like, you could drive your Humvee over the ocean because they built all the Humvees they needed so long ago. What we don't have is people to drive them. Yeah. 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 That's, that's definitely like, uh, they're not, they're not star for resources other than MREs. Cause they're all eating what it was a vegetarian. Lasagna. Right. It seemed like they have, um, it's like a last, uh, that TV show last man on earth, similar scenario there. It's <laughs> very few people having all the stuff that was ever made, but it's all the same stuff. They stopped making any new stuff. Can I, can I tell you how I stopped watching that show as soon as I realized he wasn't actually the last man on earth? Uh, you quit like episode two. Uh-huh. I hundred hundred percent because they lied to me. <laughs> I wanted that. I wanted that show to legitimately be the entire time. One person. I, I thought that would have been more ambitious, but I accepted that they couldn't do that. But also, it did feel a little bit like they could just uh, change the rules whenever they wanted. I hated it. It did feel a little floaty, a little weightless and repetitive. I was excited. The promo looked great. I was like, wow, I'm so excited to see. Because you have you have you stumbled upon the TikTok account? There's a guy with a TikTok account who's been who, who will take videos of places and there's no one there. And he's like. Well, I guess they, we don't really know who it is, but they, they are kind of like making it seem like, um, the world is out over and he's the only person left. Have you seen those TikTok videos? No, I haven't. That sounds good. They're really good. There's a series of TikToks. Uh, you can probably find them. They're all over the internet and it's like really interesting stuff. It's like very post-apocalyptic, but like, obviously there's no destruction. He's just actually, like he's the only person there. You never see anyone else in any of the videos. I thought that's what we were going to get out of last man on earth. And I was here for it. I would have, I would have tuned into it every week. But then they brought other people, and it turned into a regular old sitcom. And I mean, I was down for whatever it was. Like I was sold on it based on the talent. I like um, Phil Lord, and I like Chris Miller, and I like uh, what's the name of the actor who is the main guy? I don't know. Phil Lord and Chris Miller were the show creators, and previously the only show they'd created was um, Clone High. Have you seen Clone High? No, I never saw it. Uh, Clone High is the one where uh, they make clones of a bunch of famous people. So like Cleopatra, Abraham Lincoln, and Gandhi are some of your main characters. And they're all teenagers in a high school. And they're having teenage high school drama. Um, but everything's wacky and high stakes and sci-fi. Okay. That actually sounds like something it's, I'd watch. It's a really good, really creative show. Um, and a reboot of it is coming. But at the time, um, Last Man on Earth was their first TV show since then. And I was so excited to see those guys making a new TV show. Okay, that's cool. So you were you were sold on the creator. I was down for whatever it was. So like it doesn't have to stay as the last man on earth, but it did it just wasn't a great show unfortunately. So the creator of this, the director of this movie, the only thing that I think he did, Chris McKay, was that his name? No, maybe. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Chris McKay. He did the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. That was good. It was good. It was it was definitely good. Um I think he made one other movie that was kind of a flop. That I'm not remembering right now. Oh, he also directed a bunch of episodes of Moral Oral <laughs> and Robot Chicken. Okay, that's cool. So they got like you know they got an Adult Swim guy making you know. Multi yeah, this is an animator, um, animator turned live action film director. Interesting. You know that now that I know that and I see the set pieces and I'm thinking back to like all. That's the why it was so graphic novel. It was. It was really graphic novel, but it. Because this probably had an amazing storyboard. 
It probably did. I bet did. in the storyboard slash animatic phase of this movie, it seemed like the greatest thing to ever happen. Honestly, I probably would have enjoyed looking at that more than watching the movie. Oh, man. Now I wonder. Me too. I wonder. Find the, if we can find the uh, animatic version of the film, we can have a follow-up episode there's about a, how... There, there's a bonus. There's like a, I'm looking at this bonus behind-the-scenes stuff, and they got stills, and they got all these things, and all these cool no, things. No, I want the whole animatic. Uh, yeah, I want I want that I want that as well. I think that'd be really cool. But or at like, least the animatic of the Tomorrow War. I agree. I agree. I 100% agree with that. I think that would be a really interesting way of rewatching or re-experiencing this cuz you know, we've I this is the first impression. This is just a, I've I've only it's been less than 24 hours since I watched it. I watched it last night at like what 2 a.m. and this is just my first impression. You know, that's the whole idea of a first impression podcast is just to give your impressions of it, see what things you connect to it and what ideas you kind of draw from it and what makes you appreciate certain kinds of media. What, what this movie was lacking for me was the stuff that usually goes along with a cool science fiction movie, a dope soundtrack, really cool sound design, uh, just really a world building that leaves a lot of questions that you want to keep exploring instead of getting the sense that they were like, Oh, I don't think about that too much. We don't know yet. Yeah, exactly. 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 So overall, I have to say my, my, even after talking with it, talking about it with you, like I still kind of stand by my statement. I don't think this is a very good movie. Um, I don't think it'll ever have a sequel. I don't think there's a lot of rewatchability, but there's a potential that if they have, well, I don't think there's potential potential now. It's kind of fallen flat. I think it's got like, I think it's got, yeah, it's, it's not getting good reviews as far as I can see. Like no one's, no one's raving about it, but a lot of people are watching it. What if I'm the person who liked this movie the most? Wow. That's, you know, something that's always something I think about because there's another science fiction movie that I actually rewatched recently, Event Horizon with Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne. I loved Event Horizon. Event Horizon is arguably my favorite movie of all time because of the questions they don't answer and the world that they build and the limited information you get and how many questions you have to ask yourself. Apparently they shot uh, like 20 minutes of movie that they cut from the movie. Well, like that's part of why, like, I think it's so good. Yes. Because of all the things that you don't see. Well, the The things they don't play, the things that you don't see. And also they're like, I've, I've watched a couple of uh, very short internet documentaries and I've listened to pretty much every single actor who's ever given an interview about that movie. I've listened to them and it, that movie had a really turbulent start from writing to actually finally being like made. Paul W.S. Anderson doesn't even talk about Event Horizon. He doesn't like talking about it. It was at a very, the studio was, was breathing down his throat the writer of that movie too apparently had like he was contractually obligated to write three movies and i think that was the third one but it happened right around a time of like personal tragedy and that yeah. really affected the script and it just kind of carried on and that movie just has so much emotional weight when you start learning more about it and then when you just want to sit down and watch it it's just like wow there's just so much there that we're never going to have answers for but god i rewatch event horizon probably once every 2 months not Damn, that's lying. more than I rewatch any movie. I love. I'm the. I watch movies a lot. Movies that I like, I will rewatch because I enjoy them. I've probably seen Tropic Thunder over a dozen times. I've seen Tropic Thunder three times, which is um, very high for me in terms of rewatching movies. Very few movies make it to three, so that's that's high praise for me that I would watch that three times. Like Cloverfield too. Like going back to it, I watched Cloverfield so many times. I've consumed every bit of Cloverfield media that's out there. I've read the manga. 
all the websites, all the additional movies they made that are loosely on it, the, the Cloverfield Paradox, one, whatever, the Clover, 10 Cloverfield Lane, whatever. I watched all of those, and I ate up all the stuff that they gave us because I was just into that world. I was immersed. This movie had the potential to hook me in like that, but they just didn't go that extra mile. Yeah, I was I was willing to engage this, this as like uh, an interesting but like schlocky movie because the dialogue was cheesy. The world didn't feel truly lived in. The world building wasn't like uh, pulling me in. But I was able to be interested and engaged with like, how'd they put this scene together? What's going on here? What character beats are happening now? Oh man, are they going to ever see the big picture? Is that the theme of this movie or did they not think about it? I don't know. Like, um, I was having fun with all those. So there's always a moment in a movie when you know shit got real. When shit's getting real. For this movie, the shit gets real is the first scene. When they first drop in, that's when you know this shit's real. I want to... I don't know. I didn't feel like... I almost felt like that was a fever dream. Yeah, but it... It never got real because it always felt like a fucking fever dream. Yeah, and it, yeah. Because it all got erased by the paradox ending of the movie. It's like, oh, so that really was just a fever dream. Like... Did any of this happen to Chris Pratt? Or is this actually the story about a family man who just uh, broke down and hallucinated and hugged his kids after it was over? Yeah, so they didn't really deliver it. It never really did feel real. I will harken back to another zombie movie. I brought zombie movies up earlier where, like, the shit is real. So the whole – you ever see World War Z? No. So World War Z – there's one moment, there's a whole beginning sequence where shit's just going crazy. Zombies are taking over, they're trying to get medicine, they're trying to do all these things. And then they finally get evac and land on, this is like, this is kind of into the movie. They finally get helicoptered off, they go to a, 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 a boat in the ocean, and he's like, the Brad Pitt main character, he works for the CDC. He was like an investigator, he would go and like figure out where like diseases started and stuff. And he's talking to the guy who's in charge of that. This guy was just an agent. And he's talking to the guy who's in charge of it. And the guy, the first thing he says to him is, the president is dead. And it was like, oh, shit just got real. And even Brad Pitt's face, <laughs> his face, his face, he, the way he reacted to that news was like, uh-huh. And then there's scenes in that movie where they're carrying, like, the Declaration of Independence in a big glass case. And they're, like, moving right, it around. Like- there, there, was, there was these elements of this is super real and this is happening right now and you need to be paying attention. This movie tried to get there, but it just, like you said, falls flat. But you know what I thought was better than? Like uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. I didn't That's even see That's the last it. similar movie that I watched to this. Um, I saw it um, at drive-in theater recently because you could watch that in a car during pandemic and still social distance. Sounds cool. And Yeah, it was fun. Um, I enjoyed seeing a movie on a big screen, but it was not a good movie. Um, the best parts of it where uh, the parts where the dialogue was the least realistic, but they needed to keep the intensity of the scene up anyway. So you'd have someone, you know, be like, not on my ship, you don't. And, you know, like this kind of quick cutting back and people yelling at each other and just not having a realistic dialogue. And those kinds of scenes were working. And so I was thinking, like, I was comparing this movie to that the whole time. That's And this is so much better. That is super interesting that you were comparing this movie to Godzilla Kong. I never, I would, I would probably, if... If someone really wanted to watch that with me, I would watch it. Otherwise, I read the Wikipedia description just to see who won. And it turns out Godzilla won both times. 
there were two engagements. Godzilla fights him twice and pretty much wins, and then they work together to fight the 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 Mecha Gon, whatever the the robot. Right, version. they team up to uh, deal with a bigger threat. So, but it's very clear that uh, if Godzilla was really going in for the kill, Godzilla would win. The weakest part about all of those new Godzilla movies is the fact that they even tried to put humans in the story. Honestly, I just I just put the camera on top of Godzilla's head and then go for for 90 minutes. Just let me see what Godzilla does and let me see Godzilla fight. Slow the scenes down. Make sure That's I can see everything. Older movie to do. You just show like lots of scenes of like Godzilla walking from place to place and you see the things that influence Godzilla's decisions. And then you see just from Godzilla's POV, all of the destruction and the fights all from Godzilla's perspective. That'd that be sounds cool. Old. I would but watch yeah, that. Really good, actually. I would watch that. That's something it would because that, that's all I'm really interested in. Like the reason why I love Pacific Rim was because you got so much giant robots fighting giant monsters. You got so much of it, and you also got so much world building. And you had an actor like Charlie Day who took over the comedy because the guy who's the lead actor in that I can't even pronounce his name. You know he, there, you know he. He he has no he has no personality other than like I look really good and I I'm very serious and that's what I do, and he did a really good job at it. And then you got Charlie Day making things cool. You got an act you got an actor like Ron Perlman in there who really spices things up. And the overall man that's a, that's a Guillermo del Toro movie. So obviously you're gonna have such a deeper level of design. It's not just gonna be a bunch of blue screens and set pieces. It's going to be well, real elaborate sets. Screens and like, I thought the problem with Pacific Rim was it looked like a Photoshop painting. It did, but there also were enough practical sets and things like there were when the 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 set pieces of them inside of the Jaegers. That's a real set. Those are real hydraulics. Yeah, sure. Like yeah, that this movie would have never done anything like that. They just there's nothing they would have done. Like they even the, you're right. Even the they, alien they ship totally design just like went down. Like one of the moments, oh yeah, that alien ship looked cheap. It and looked the, cheap. Uh, ice behind it looked like, oh, they took um one of those hot knives and cut through some styrofoam ice. Mm -hmm. But uh, the scene that really clinched me, like, oh, they didn't try that hard with the art direction on this movie, was um again in that first drop when they're going through the city streets and they're moving through this area where there's this plant life and the plant life is very clearly manicured. Like, this is uh, a place they closed down for like a few hours to shoot in and they like threw some blood and some dirt on it. But other than that, there's still like all the plants are exactly where you'd leave them for like a shopping mall. Yeah. Nothing's overgrown. Nothing's burned down of uh, this. Looks like the city was just a few hours ago. People were still like living here. And yet this is a post-apocalyptic world. Come on movie. Come on. Come on. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, uh, you know, over and over again on that. It's, there were moments where they really could have implemented some really cool set design, really could have told the world just with the – they could have told the story of the world just by making the set look a little nicer. Or, no, or actually, no, the opposite. A little they, more fucked up. More fucked up, and they just didn't do it. You know, I just yeah, – just, there's, there's, there were oversights, but obviously they but just wanted to get it done. Movie, they saved a lot for the end. They did. Well, Everything about the whole third act was so much more steam than I expect a movie to have in the third act. So many good <laughs> movies die by the third act. They're boring by then. Like, uh, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but like, um, great first two acts, third act, you kind of just, you give it a pass because you like the first two acts. Third act was really where the best parts of this movie were. 
Yeah, that was where the most juicy bits were, especially with the whole... The best action scenes, the most juicy bits of art direction, the best prop in the movie. Uh, you get to have the most J.K. Simmons by the third act. Mm-hmm. You get, the, you get the, the, the kid with the volcanoes. That comes back again. Volcano kid is top of the third act. Yeah, yeah, honestly. And, like... Oh, let's tell the listeners who Volcano Kid is. So, in the very... So, be- he's he's a biology teacher, okay. right? So, he's teaching a science class, and obviously all the kids aren't interested because this is after the, the people from the future have come. Yeah, and there's this one kid who's like, I'm too... I'm not interested in what you're teaching me. I care about volcanoes. Yeah. And then later, they're like, who do we know? Who knows about volcanoes? So, we cut to them going, apparently, to the class in the middle of the day because the whole rest of the class is there. And they just ask Volcano Kid, like, all these hyper-specific questions about what theoretically could a volcano do that could explain for this. And then based off of this one stylish, very stylish high school kid's uh, explanation of, like, how a volcano could work, they smuggle to Russia. Yeah. Yeah. They smuggle but to this Russia. this works because this kid is stylish. Volcano Kid uh, has, like he's confused for a second and then he clearly leans into it and you uh can really feel the acting decision of this kid like he's someone who decided to seize this moment he's awkward at first until he wants to embrace being the persona that the adults in his life are looking for and he like steps up his charm and like really becomes the volcano kid and like great scene love that amazing acting yeah honestly there the volcano kid is the reason why the movie like comes to its inevitable conclusion. Volcano Kid saves the day. Yeah. Volcano Kid plus explosives. <laughs> and J.K. Simmons. And J.K. Simmons, honestly. Like he was it's really, really good. it's an ensemble effort. Um also in the high school scene, I really I want to mention they had this wonderfully cast uh woke teenage girl who brings up the point like, what's the point? Aren't we all gonna die? Oh yeah. Yeah, I, and uh, I, she felt straight out of like a stock character from not like other movies, but from like an old person's description of what kids are like these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That she just pops right out of that and's like, oh yes, I love this um, ensemble. I love this uh, rich and diverse world they've built, full of people who um, represent all the different worldviews regarding a disaster. They they did a really good job at that, but then it it really just kind of teeters off just just after that, you know. After that, you don't really get anything else that's even remotely similar to to that sort of like we're living in this world and this is what it's like. You don't really get that after that. Well, you do get a little bit because right after that is the drafting scene where he's conscripted and then he's with a whole bunch of other uh, ordinary schlubby people and they're all acting like, oh, you're going to be badasses. But then this ends all in like the moment where they drop the bombs on the city and the uh, fat guy that um, Chris Pratt really wanted to save. Chris Pratt really wanted to save this one fat guy till he fell through a grate and he tried to save him and then gets everybody killed. That's the moment where ordinary people stop mattering. That's when it's only about the specials. Yeah. And they were like, just go. We got it. Just go. I, I mean, personally, and so we only go back to the classroom because we have a special kid, Volcano Kid. He's been made special by circumstances. I everyone else. Sorry, woke girl. You're just a normie. Yeah, I would have loved because like that that scene where, you know, obviously they had to get taken into like this. Only only the people who are capable are going to survive that scene where they where they get left back in the explosion, whatever. I, I feel like that did kind of for me that detracted. I would have loved to have seen all those characters get ripped to shreds 
the very beginning. I'd, I would have just loved it. Uh, that would have been for me. That would have because I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm you know, into the gore, or, uh, but I need a gore fix from certain movies. And this movie didn't really have much of it. There's a part where a guy got bit like right in half, which was kind of cool. Yeah. But like, I really was expecting them to just get absolutely torn to shreds by these things, and they really didn't. You know, like the people. Who I got... really like the scene where like somebody got just vored by one of the aliens, and then the skull spits out. When was that? No, that's what I wish was in there. Oh, oh, oh! I'm, oh. I'm wishing like you said that you wish this movie had some gore, and I thought like, oh man, wouldn't it be great if one of the aliens vored somebody and then spit the skull out? That'd have been cool. That'd have been cool. It would have it would have been a good fix. It would have been a good like, oh, yeah, there's that brutality, or that would have been the that would have been a great centerpiece for like that older actor doing a cameo who you would expect to be a badass along with Chris Pratt. Yeah. Oh yeah, Dolph Lundgren is in there for one scene. He gets vored by an alien who spits out his skull. That'd have been great. That have been his big, his giant skull, his giant Icelandic Swedish skull. Yeah, that'd have been awesome. All right. So if people donate to our Patreon, we'll get Dolph Lundgren in a movie where uh, his skull gets spit out. That works. That works. Donate to a Patreon. I mean, I feel like we've kind of gone over all the the the, the main points, and I mean, I feel like we've gotten out most of our our thoughts. Yeah, I think on we this. began to wind down a bunch of times over the course of this. And then we all had a moment of like, oh, one more thing I would not talk about from that movie. Yeah, so and we've I mean, done that a few times. So now we're out of things to say about this movie, aren't we? I think so. I mean, we could do something akin to like a sign off. Like I'll I'll do I'll start it off just like my first impression was this is a definitely an interesting movie. Is it worth a watch? Only if you're kind of into time travel y science fiction y alien design type stuff. If you're looking for anything extra out of it, you're just you're going to kind of be left disappointed. If you're looking for a big, juicy world full of interesting things to like look into and research and like questions and stuff like you're just going to you're just going to be left high and dry, really, because it's just it's just the experience. And as soon as the movie's over, it's over. There's really nothing else after it. I I don't know. I think uh, my impression is if you like movies that are interesting because they're kind of dumb because they have something that they want to do that they're not totally doing. And they have a mixed success, and you like seeing. Um, if you're interested in watching movies, to watch people make movies, the Tomorrow War is pretty cool. All right, yeah, yeah, I can go with that. Do you want to plug your pluggables? I don't really have anything to plug uh, other than I have an album coming Matt out. Matt Dubrow in the Captives. Matt Dubrow in the Captives. We got an album coming out soon. And uh, who knows? I mean, yeah, people can watch you on uh, stream, Twitch stream. You can watch me on a Twitch stream. You can you can follow me on the TikTok. I'm House of Dub with underscores everywhere. Uh, you can also just try to find Matt Dubrow on Twitter. Probably easiest to follow me on Twitter. I let everyone know about my bowel movements. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I love seeing poop information on Twitter. People joke about that being the kind of thing, but there's not enough of it. Not, Not enough, enough of it. That. You got to be creative with it. You got all those characters. You got to really utilize them. Find a really interesting way to talk about taking a deuce. Yeah. How about you? Do you got any pluggables? Uh, yeah. I am Cy, also known as I of Arin. Um, I'm on Twitter, or I'm on Twitter as OK I Don't Know, and I have a music project called Girls with Depression. It's a solo um, recording project that blurs the line of pop, rock, and hip hop, and that's on Spotify and Bandcamp and wherever you find music. Yeah, and if you're a musician, check out the Indie Music Feedback Discord. Oh, yeah, that's the best thing to plug because that's an actual community that um, a lot of discords are not really communities. Uh, this is a community where people really 
try to like um, be aware of each other's emotional needs and take care of each other and help each other grow as artists. Yeah. And just to give you an example of how good the community is, I just want to ask how, how many times have you and I spoken? Uh, dozens. Oh, I mean, oh, I mean, I mean like actually like, like this, like talking to each other about a thing. Oh, like direct one-on-one communications. Yeah. Probably about twice. And they were very short, very short able to jump in and do two hours of uh, talking and being comfy with each other. Yeah. I feel very, I mean, this, this, this to me was a very cozy and comfortable experience. And I mean, that lends it to, you know, went down smooth. Yeah. It went, it was super smooth. Like, you know, if this was actually a job, I could probably do this a couple times a week. But just to just to give you an idea of how cool the IMF community is, I mean, there's probably a dozen people in that community who I could do something very similar like this with, and it would go over just as well because there's a lot of just really good, positive people in there. Talented people being nice to each other. Yeah, right. Talented people being nice to each other. That's that's that that should be uh, that should be a podcast. Honestly, yeah, that's a cool title. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. <laughs> This was a this was a really good experience, and I hope uh, anyone who listens to this enjoys our commentary on this movie. I mean, I wouldn't it's recommend good, our pilot episode of Fresh Impressions. I think our podcast is actually just as long as the movie, so I mean, do it as That's a watch along. That's how all movie podcasts are. Yeah, do a do a do a watch along. Put boot the movie up and have us talk about it, and then like you know, we go all over the place. So <laughs> this this would probably be a fun movie uh, to we'll do a watch along with. <laughs> honestly i feel like the role um of these kinds of things isn't to watch along with them it's after you've watched a movie and you cared enough about it that you want to keep thinking about it but you don't have any friends who've seen the movie and you don't think the movie was good enough that you can like tell people like you need to watch the tomorrow war so we can talk about it <laughs> exactly that's, just, that's that's where a feeling i've been left with a lot of times and that's when i turn to podcasts about movies so <laughs> i hope if you've been in that situation you found this very helpful. And maybe you look forward to the next one. I don't know what the next one will be. I mean, a movie was the first suggestion, so I said, let's go for it. I, I'm open to all forms of media, but I think movies actually do work really well for this. Uh, let's do the Ice Road next. Ice Road? What's that? Um, I'm picking it just based off of the picture, same way I picked the Tomorrow Road, uh, Tomorrow War. I haven't seen it before, but it looks like Mel Gibson, unless that's not Mel Gibson. And he's cold and worried. And people in the foreground are running around in front of a truck. No, that's Liam Neeson. Oh. <laughs> that's Liam Neeson. That's Liam Neeson in a semi-tractor trailer and a crack in the ice. You got me. All right. So check out the okay. next podcast. It's going to be on. We're going to do the ice road next. The ice road. So I don't know where we're going to put this or how we're going to put this. Uh, um, I'll make an anchor.fm thing. I don't even know what that means, but I trust it. It's a podcast distribution thing that um, offers a free tier of service, and that should be good enough for getting started. And we might need to upgrade from there, but that's a problem we hope to have, not a problem we're going to worry about. I dig it. All right. Awesome. Well, this has been a great first episode. Once again, I'm House of Dub. And I'm I of Aaron. And this, and this has, has been, been our fresh first impressions. fresh impressions. <laughs> awesome. Our first impressions or fresh and fresh? Uh, fresh and fresh is actually better. It's a better idea. Thanks. I like it. All right, cool. Signing off. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye.